words, our thoughts, our minds, our actions, to bring them into conformity with Jesus Christ, to bring them uh, as, as holy. And we've been studying in the book of Proverbs, part of God's word that God has given us to aid us, to help us in that process of sanctification, that we might know the mind of Christ. I hope that phrase, the mind of Christ, rings a bell, because that was in the passage Pastor Steve preached last Sunday from 1 Corinthians, and showing that we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ has been revealed to us through the inspiration of Scripture. And so uh, this is all part of, of the package that God has given us to help us in our sanctification, to be godly in our words, thoughts, and actions. And so Proverbs is uh, a, a whole book of just verse after verse after verse, very specifically giving us insight into the mind of Christ, insight into uh, equipping us that we would be holy. In honor of God's word, let's stand together and follow along as I read Proverbs chapter 15, verses 24 through 28. Verse 24, Proverbs 15. The path of life leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household but he who hates bribes will live. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, we're continuing looking at these individual proverbs, as we've seen in the heart of the book, you have these proverbs, one right after the other. They are not usually connected in thoughts with each other. It's, it's you know, from our standpoint, it's random. It's not random from God's standpoint, but from our standpoint, it, the, these are random thoughts, one right after the other. And as I've mentioned before, the titles that we have, I have adapted from a book on Proverbs called The Wisdom of Proverbs. So the first one we are looking at tonight is verse 24, and the title is Walk the High Road of Faith. Often in Proverbs, life is described as walking a path. And in Proverbs 15, 24, uh, there are two paths mentioned. There is the path of life and the path of death. The path of death is called Sheol, and we'll talk about that when we, when we get there. And so walking in God's ways, this is the point, walking in God's ways leads to a good life and a longer life. In fact, it's eternal life, unending. And and this path is mentioned other times in this book. It's mentioned in chapter 3, verse 3. 
It's mentioned in verse 16 of chapter 3. It's mentioned in chapter 4, verse 10, and in chapter 9, verse 11. In contrast to that, in this verse, walking on the path of sin will cut a person's days short. So you have good and long, even eternal life on the path of life, but path uh, or life cut short with the uh, uh, path of, of death. And uh, this path also is talked about other times in Proverbs. It's talked about in chapter 2, verse 18, and chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. But turn back to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 7 through 10, it explains that being on the right path is because of a regenerate heart. The only way we ever get on the right path, it's not our, oh, I'm figuring this out and I'm choosing this. It's God's work of regenerating us saving us from our sin. And, and and that's hinted at in chapter 2, verses 7 to 10. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is, this speaking of the Lord, is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity Every good path for wisdom will come into your heart. That's a wonderful way of, of expressing the New Testament that uh, the New Testament teaching that is kind of expands this, the work of the change on inside of giving us a new heart regeneration. So, uh, will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. So this, that we are going to see this good path comes not as a result of our effort, but as the grace of God in regeneration in our heart and life. So let's look at verse 24. The path of life leads upward for the prudent. Now this path of life is is speaking of, of the path of the wise person, and we've seen numerous times in Proverbs that the wise person, that's synonymous with the believer. So this is talking about the believer in Christ, and it's a path of life, which reminds us that we are talking about eternal life, which is eternal, but it's also abundant. Jesus in John 10.10 said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. So this path of life is, uh, it's, it's a tremendous description because it's life with a capital L, life of eternity and life of abundance. And it, the term path in Psalms and Proverbs also speaks of the lifestyle. So it's a lifestyle of godliness. It's the lifestyle that would have been Adam and Eve's when they were created. They lived in a lifestyle of, of godliness until sin came. And then their life went downward on the, uh, on the wrong path until God in his grace brought righteousness. 
But um, this this path of life, it's, it's a lifestyle of godliness that is the lifestyle of the believer, the wise person. And so he's able to say the path of life leads upward. In contrast to the next part of the verse that's going to talk about the path of death or ungodliness, which is pictured as downward. Now let's think about this thought that he introduces here that the path of life leads upward. Since the believer has been raised with Christ, that's one of the great teachings of the New Testament. We are in Christ, and as Christ was raised from the dead, we have been raised to newness of life. Not talking about what will happen someday in the resurrection, but it has happened at the moment of our salvation, that we are identified with Christ. We are raised with Christ. And so therefore, we as a believer have a new priority in life. That over in Colossians, I'm not going to turn there, but just to refer to it in Colossians 3, 1 to 2, it tells us as a believer, seek those things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And that's part of the impact of this proverb. If we are going to see this proverb worked out in our life, we're going to have to be seeking those things which are above, setting our mind uh, on Christ and the things that are above, not on the things that are of this earth. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So that's, it's all pictured here, by picturing the tremendous teaching in the New Testament of our being raised with Christ, and therefore we are to seek the things that are above, seek the things that are of, of, of the Lord. And so the wise person, the believer, sets his mind on heavenly things. By heavenly things, we're talking about godly things rather than earthly things. Now, we all know we have to be involved with earthly things. We have to uh, have a source of income, and we have to get an education, and we do all of these things. But we are to set our mind not on those things, but on the things above, the things that uh, God is involved in, heavenly things. And uh, uh, the earthly things will not satisfy. If our whole mind is set on, I got to get a good job to pay good money, and on and on and on, those things don't satisfy. But to set our mind on the things above that do satisfy, and Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you, Matthew 6.33. So it's interesting also in the New Testament that our our citizenship is in heaven. That's in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, reminding us, uh, yes, we're, we're located down here, but our heart is where our citizenship is, and our citizenship is heavenly. It's, it's with the Lord. So Philippians 3.20, because our citizenship is in heaven. And then Jesus said in Matthew 6.20, 
that our treasure, let your treasure be in heaven. It's very easy to have our treasure down here and to get all involved with that. And we are to be diligent in work. But it's to realize, but my real treasure is in heaven. What am I doing in light of that? The rest is just to make, to meet expenses. So our highest priorities in life are to be the things that relate to heaven. That's what this proverb is saying. And we're going to do that as we are preoccupied with the one who reigns in heaven and uh, desire to please him. And that's, of course, the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 4. Turn to Psalm 37, verse 4, because it's such a such a great verse for us as Christians to go back to over and over again to remind ourselves of uh, Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in money? No. Delight yourself in education? No. Delight yourself in family? It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So this Delighting in the Lord is connected with the renewing of our minds and to have uh, the mind of Christ. Well, turning back to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 24, the path of life leads, leads upward. And then he mentions one aspect of the wise person, the believer. And that is, he says, for the prudent. We've seen this expression a number of times in Proverbs so far. It's talking about the the wise person, the Christian, who um, uh, recognizes that the path of sin leads downward. The prudent realizes there are there are dangers to sin. I don't want to go that way, and so. I want to go the upward way. Uh, turn over to uh, Psalm 139. This, I, I think, is a wonderful prayer for us. We want to be this prudent person, and this is a part of being that prudent person. It's 139 and verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way to me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Tremendous reminder of where our delight is to be. And our prayer before the Lord is, I I don't want to fall into the trap of, of, of sin. And so, Lord, search my heart. Is there any inclination in my heart, in my mind, towards sin instead of godliness? And I want to confess that before you. And God, see if there be any grievous way in me, anything in me that causes grief to God or to the Holy Spirit, because we have the verse in Ephesians, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, turning back to Proverbs 15, the second part, 
of, uh, of verse 24, the, the path of life leads the upward, leads upward for the prudent, that, and so if we're doing that, we're not going to be on the other path, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. Uh, and now, Sheol beneath, he's using that as a term for the grave or for death. Uh, the word Sheol is a Hebrew word. It occurs a number of times in the Old Testament. It was referring to several different things. It can refer to the place of punishment, or it can be a term that refers simply to death and the grave, uh, as it uh, is here. And uh, so he's, he's saying, praise God for the upward way, which is the opposite of this downward way. Now, you know, we live in a culture that is steeped in evolution. And evolution teaches that man is on an upward path. It teaches that we are progressing from uh, protoplas- protoplasm to paradise. But is that true? No. Uh, you, you see in scripture that uh, the Bible teaches the opposite. And by the way, so does human history. Uh, when man was created by God, he had no flaws. Can you imagine what it was like for Adam and Eve to have no flaws? Uh, but then sin came, and everything changed. Uh, for instance, man became totally corrupted, and his body became subject to death and decay. Uh, his mind's thinking ability was diminished. Uh, we marvel at uh, computers, you know, how computers can uh, just compute all kinds of things. We have no idea of, of all of the ability of the mind before it was polluted by sin to compute, to think, and so on. It has, it has drastically diminished his emotions. It's not just his mind, but his emotions became prone to anger, bitterness, hostility, revenge. None of those things were in the heart of Adam and Eve before they sinned. What a downward change. And uh, his will, so his mind's been affected, his emotions, his will. Remember, those are three elements of the soul, of the heart. Uh, His will became susceptible to everything ungodly. Something comes along, it's enticing, the temptation, it's ungodly, and our will is very susceptible to that. And then there's his conscience. His conscience became weakened to the extent that he can persuade himself that right is wrong and wrong is right. Adam and Eve didn't think that way. But that's part of what's happened to us because of sin. And then he is spiritually dead. Adam and Eve had such a wonderful relationship walking with God. But sin came and they spiritually died. And so did we. We came into this world spiritually dead. And so man's not on an upward path. He's on a downward path. But in addition to that, civilization is going downhill. 
Second Timothy 3.13 says, Evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. And we're seeing that today. Every generation has seen that. But in our generation, it just seems like it's accelerating. So the point is, man needs a savior. God has provided a savior. And of course, that's his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who could save a soul from hell and the downward, downward path and put him on the path of life to heaven. And uh, that's the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ has provided that. So once we are saved, we are on the upward way, and that becomes a greater reality for us. Uh, even to the point that we can sing a song like we began with when we all get to heaven. But even before we get to heaven, uh, as, as the believer, we are this upward way is becoming greater and greater to us in the way of godliness. And so this is a, a, a wonderful, wonderful proverb uh, to remind us to walk this road of faith, the upward way. Second proverb tonight is in verse 25. <clears throat> Humbly come to the aid of the needy. And that's in verse 25. So this is part of the mind of Christ. This is part of God's uh, building us up in sanctification, that we would grow in this area of care for the needy. Look at verse 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud. Now, the proud person tends to think that they can get away with anything, including... Uh, some various serious deception, which is going to come out in this verse. And Solomon's about to address it. And we see it in people in the news all the time. Uh, if, you, if you follow the news, uh, day after day after day, you're reading and watching about people who thought they could get away with anything. And uh, they sure act like it. And uh, that's the proud. And so he says, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. Um, the Lord does that in this life. But sometimes we don't see that. It looks like, oh, this person's getting away with it. But the proverb is true, he tears it down. And certainly ahead of that person is judgment, that ultimate of tearing it down. But he goes on with a promise to a certain group of people. But the Lord maintains the widow's boundaries. There is so much in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, about God's care for widows. And the reason was, widows in Bible days were some of the most vulnerable members of society. They had no one, in, in so many cases, no one looking out for their interests. They didn't have a husband. They didn't have a male protector. And uh, people would really work on taking advantage 
of widows. And part of part of what people would do would be try to treat them out of their land. And so that's why this particular uh, proverb talks about it, but he maintains the widow's boundaries. God promised in the Old Testament special care for widows. And in the Old Testament law, he included some laws to protect a person's ownership of the land, including a widow. And to lose the family allotment of land was a tragedy to a person and meant social a ruin to them and material ruin. So you remember God established uh, what's called the years of Jubilee, where um, if you had uh, had to sell your property because you were getting poor and you could sell your property, every 50 years that property had to revert back to the family that God had originally allotted it to. That comes out a number of times in the Older Testament. But before that 50th year, uh, God put in some stringent requirements. For instance, he talks about boundary stones. They would mark the boundaries of property with what's called boundary stones. And uh, there are laws in the Old Testament about don't you move someone else's boundaries uh, boundary stone, especially that of a widow. And of course, thieves, because remember, uh, he's talking about here the house of the proud, the person who thinks they can get away with anything. And there were the proud who were thieves in the sense that every once in a while they would move that widow's boundary stone a half inch. And then later they would move it a half inch more, and so on. Gradually, they've got a whole lot of that property. It was something that happened, and God uh, looked with great displeasure at that. And he says that if a widow's boundary stones have been moved, he will restore them. It's a great promise that he made. But th this is something for us to apply to ourselves and to our heart to remind us of the broader picture, do we have a heart of compassion for those in need, especially widows? So if we're going to have the mind of Christ and we're going to grow in sanctification, one of the areas is to have a heart of compassion for people that are in need and especially people like widows who uh, really uh, need our help and uh, our care. Then we have the third proverb tonight. <clears throat> Let God purify your thoughts. And that's in verse 26. In verse 26, he says, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. You know, God reads our thoughts easier than we read a book. We pick up our Bible, we pick up any book, and if you've learned to read with just no effort at all, you can just begin to read that. It's even 
easier for God to read our thoughts. You and I can't read thoughts, but God can. And uh, so the thoughts of the wicked are known to God. And uh, he detests not only the deeds of the wicked, but also the thoughts of the wicked, because they come from a sinful heart. Matthew fifteen nineteen explains it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so the sinful heart is producing uh, evil thoughts, which then uh, come out uh, in, in words. Because the thoughts of the wicked are in contrast to having what the next line is going to call gracious words, uh, this word, probably this word where he's talking here about the thoughts of the wicked, is particularly thoughts of scheming. Thoughts of uh, trying to make uh, uh, plans to bring harm to other people and uh, plotting against them. And those thoughts will come out in actions and words. And so the next line in the proverb is thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. Abomination is something that God hates. But gracious words are pure. Now, gracious words are not the product of a wicked heart, like like the thoughts of the previous line. Rather, they are the result of God's work in us of regenerating us, making us a new creation, forgiving our sin, giving us a new life. And uh, part of that regeneration gives us a new way of thinking. Turn over to the book of Philippians chapter 4 to see that new way of thinking for the believer. It's Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Philippians 4, 8. Wonderful verse. If you've not memorized it, I would encourage you to memorize it. That would enable you to chew it over in your mind. Uh, but Philippians 4.8, after talking about uh, don't be anxious about anything and everything by prayer and thanks with supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds. Then he says in verse 8, <clears throat> finally, brothers, whatever is true, so here's the list of what we are to think about. These gracious thoughts instead of the wicked thoughts. So he starts out with whatever is true. Now, Satan is a liar. He's called that in scripture and he, we see him doing that in scripture. And he loves to get us to think on sinful things by encouraging the lie that they will give pleasure. And so the first of our of our new way of thinking here is to think on things that are true. Don't believe Satan's lie. Temptation comes, oh, I could do this and it would be pleasurable and it would oh all that it would provide. It's a lie. Don't think on those things. Think on the true things of God. So think on those things that are true. And then uh, he says, and whatever is honorable. 
Honorable means something that is worthy of respect. So when we're thinking of something, maybe something we've seen on television or on the internet, and it's just kind of playing it over in our mind, and to think honorable, would the Holy Spirit who is dwelling within me, would, would he respect this? And so many times would have to say no. And so God is saying, that's not gracious thoughts. Don't think about that. Change, change what you're thinking on. Uh, then the third one that he says is whatever is just. That is whatever conforms to God's standards and uh, is worthy of his approval. Again, we can be watching things on television and the internet and so on, and our mind just begins to think on those things. But to think, oh, does that conform to God's standard of holiness? If the answer is no, he says, don't think on that. Think on the things, remember what we saw at the beginning, the things above, the things of Christ. Then he goes on, whatever things are pure. That is, things that are, uh, the word pure means clean, uh, free from sin. We have a, we have a word in English, uh, that I think is saying what it's, what, what it's not to be. Things that are sleazy. You're familiar with the word sleazy. There's a lot of things out there that are sleazy. Those are not pure. He says, don't put your mind on those things. Whether it be the music or the, what we're reading and thinking about. And how does it, how do we have pure thoughts and clean thoughts? It comes from the word of God working in our heart. So we have these things that are pure. Then the things that are lovely, those are things that are pleasing and attractive, not something disgusting. We saw the word abomination earlier. Wickedness is an abomination to God. That's something that is disgusting. So if you know that this is something that is disgusting to God, don't think about it. And then he uses the term commendable. That is, it meets the highest standards. And then excellence encourages us to excel even more than we are. So he has this, this tremendous list here. And then he says, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So this is what we are to think about. The things that are true, the things that are honorable, things that are just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, think on these things. And where do you start with those things? In the word of God. So this then also begins with meditating in God's word. Psalm 1, a great passage, talks about, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners and the way of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That's to be the center of our thinking. 
And that's where we will find the pure and the just and the honorable and think on these things. Well, then we come to the, oh, by the way, um, a good prayer uh, in, in Psalms for us in this regard is Psalm 1914. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Psalm 19 and verse 14. Let's look at one more proverb. Uh, maybe get to the last one, but at least one more. Look to God as your only source. And that's in verse 27. In verse 27, <clears throat> he says, Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. Being greedy for unjust gain, that's an action of the sinful heart. To be greedy, to be greedy just by itself is the product of an unjust heart, but uh, to be of a, of a wicked heart. But to be a greedy for unjust gain is even more of an abomination to God. It reminds us that God says, what's the root of all evil? It's not money. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. And he says, so this person who is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. Can you think of an example in the Old Testament of someone that was greedy for unjust gain wound up troubling his own household, Terry? Achan. Remember when the children of Israel crossed into the promised land and God defeated Jericho in that amazing, amazing way of the power of God. And God had told the Jews, don't take anything. You're not to covet. You're not to take it for yourself. But Achan, he just couldn't resist. And he took some. And God let Israel know that God means what he says. And God knows. And God identified that it was Achan who did that. And his whole household was destroyed. Interesting example of this. And so God says this person who is a greedy for unjust gain, God doesn't take that lightly. And down the line, there will even be judgment to the point of on his household. But then he goes on, but he who hates bribes will live. Now, the person with this new heart is to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. And so he mentions specifically this person who hates uh, bribes. That's the person who's going to live. Accepting or giving a bribe is part of greed. But this person who hates that will live. And that's in contrast to the previous line, which says the person with greed for unjust gain will experience trouble in his life. This person who hates what God hates, he will be blessed in his life. And so that's, that's what it's, it's implying 
when he says this person will live. The life of this godly person is going to be full of God's blessing, peace and joy and fulfillment and contentment. All of these blessings will be his and it will, he will really uh, be living in the best sense of the word. Now notice the uh, title of this proverb. Uh, look to God as your only source. Instead of focusing on getting money, that's the greedy part, we are to focus on pleasing God and doing what he wants us to do and trusting him. He has promised to meet our needs. Now, he's not promised that in doing that, he's going to meet every one of our wants. Uh, he has a plan. He's working out his plan. If it's if it's his desire, we would have these wants. Uh, he will supply them. But he has promised that he will meet our needs. Look to him as the source of all the things that we need instead of being greedy for unjust gain. Well, I think we'll uh, close it there. And let's just in conclusion, think back to these four Proverbs. The first one, am I setting my mind on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth? Think about yourself. What have you spent time thinking about this week? What's been your desires? Are they the things of God or the things of the world, the things of the flesh? This proverb is telling me and telling you, set our minds on those things above. Secondly, ask God to give you a heart of compassion for those in need and the most vulnerable in our society. One of the things that we need to do, uh, in addition to asking God for that heart, is to pray for them. Make it part of your regular list of what, who and what you pray for. And it's amazing as we, as we pray for people in, in situations, well, God just gives us a heart of compassion for them. The third one, are my thoughts pleasing to God? Commit to thinking on what pleases God. Memorize that list. In Philippians 4, 8, and think on these things. And then lastly, the fourth one. Are you focusing on getting money any way you can? Instead, focus on God. What is God wanting to do in your life? And trusting him that in his way, he will supply. And his way usually involves a job and supplying in that way. But when we come to the point of worrying and conniving, uh, God is saying, you've missed the boat. Trust me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we do have the mind of Christ. Thank you that you are working 
in our lives as believers to bring us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that in each one of these areas tonight, that we would examine our hearts and we would ask you to search me and know me and see if there be any of this wickedness in us and that we would confess it before you and that we would seek you and delight in you above anything this world has to offer. We thank you for these proverbs and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.